0: So you want to watch a movie, but you don't know which. Choosing the one can be a bitch. But Jared and Drew have perfected the art. So sit back, relax, and trust the dark. It's Dartboard Movie Night. What's going on, everyone? I'm Drew. And I'm Jared. And welcome to Dartboard Movie Night, the podcast where we put 20 movies on a board, throw a dart at it, and let the fates decide. This week, we're heading back to the year 1999. It's a year that some people call the best ever for movies to cover one of the most celebrated films of its year. We're talking The Sixth Sense, starring Bruce Willis, Haley Joel Osment, and Tony Collette, and directed by M. Night Shyamalan, simultaneously one of the most celebrated and derided auteurs of the 21st century. I am super freaking excited to talk about this movie, Jared.
1: Dude, so true. Celebrated and derided. I like that. See, I don't know these intros before Drew says them. So I'm hearing it for the first time, too. Excellent. One of the finest. One of the finest. The Sixth Sense is actually a Darkboard original, Drew. Ironically, the number six, by the way, I don't think we planned that out. Like it just happened. The Sixth Sense happened to fall on six, which is kind of silly because it always probably, you know, threatened to trip you up when you read through the list. Tongue you know? twister. Yeah, number six, the sixth sense. Someone's an idiot. Like who we'll put that there? But um, but yeah, an OG, an OG for sure, man. It's always
0: it's kind of bittersweet when we cross off an OG. We're pretty deep into the the series at this point. We're in the 30s in terms of episode numbers, and I think like it it makes sense that we're we're running out of them at this point. I'm actually kind of surprised that we have as many as we do still.
1: Yeah, that cuz it is all probably sources back to that very weird stretch we just had where we were avoiding single digit numbers for so long. There's still a cluster of single digit number OGs, I feel. I mean, I'm just saying that without knowing for sure, but
0: <laughs> Well, and we had all way. those number 16s also.
1: Yeah, we had that cluster of 16s, but the dart really does work in mysterious ways. We talk about it a lot on the show. At the time of release will be a little different. From the time of recording, but we're right in the middle of spooky season right now. So the fact that we hit uh, number six, the sixth sense of my original Shamer, is just really good timing for us being in kind of mid-middle, back end of October. Perfect time to watch this film, and I'm excited. Do you want to do a little um, little board recap about kind of where we are at in general?
0: Yeah, well, I, I first want to just call out the the remaining OGs that we yeah, have on the yeah, board. Yeah, 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 good idea. So- The last ones we have left from the original dartboard selections are Ex Machina, The Big Sleep, Days of Heaven, The Straight Story, and that's it. That's all we got. Whoa. Was that like five? I wasn't counting. It should have been. It's five, including tonight's episode.
1: Wow. So after tonight. So Days of Heaven is yours, I remember. Was the Big Big Sleep was mine, right? Correct. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And Ex Machina is yours
0: as well. Yeah. Uh, and so, the straight story. So it's only yours pretty much left. I f- I f-
1: fucking forgot about the straight story. Like when you hit it in the list each time, I kind of gloss over and I forget what that movie is or what I think it is. I've not seen it. And how it got on the board is a goofy story, which we'll get to whenever that day comes. And it might be trash. I have no idea what to expect from this film in a lot of ways.
0: Yeah. No, um, we've got some fun ones left of, of that group. I am pr- very excited to get to Days of Heaven. I am, yeah, I'm in a Terry Malick mode. I wanna, I wanna like watch some really moody, atmospheric, you know, mm-hmm. nature focused kind of film. And some,
1: maybe some visual shit. Look yeah. for some visual
0: shit. Yeah, and visual I mean, storytelling, baby.
1: Hell yeah! And that should be a fun one too because, as far as I know, I'm not super familiar with his work, so. It, It'll be somewhat of a first impression for me. Yeah. And I'll be I'll be excited when we hit
0: that one too, man. All right. Well, let's run through the current board as it stands. We've got number one, You Can Count on Me. Number two, Ex Machina. Number three, The Right Stuff. Number four, The Big Sleep. Number five, Operation Condor. Number six, The Sixth Sense, Tonight's Episode. Number seven, Amadeus. Number eight, The Fifth Element. Number nine, Days of Heaven. Number 10, The Limey. Number 11, heathers number 12 the straight story number 13 thunderbolt and lightfoot number 14 schindler's list number 15 the friends of eddie Coyle number 16 dirty harry number 17 the blair witch project number 18 waking life number 19 face off and number 20 the terminator the terminator dude
1: i forgot that that was added last week hell yeah dude that's a great 20 i've totally forgot and just as a reminder out there if we hit a bullseye We'll have a friend's choice, which is a surprise choice that Drew and I don't know. And if they're down, they'll come on the podcast, too, which will be fun. I'll be happy because if I'm not mistaken, it's my night to pick a replacement when we get to the end of the episode. Yes, sir. And I'll be excited to have a new name for number six because the sixth sense at six was absurd, as mentioned. So <laughs> excited to wipe that slate clean and looking forward to discussing this flick with you, man.
0: Well, why don't you give us a streaming check on tonight's episode on The Sixth Sense?
1: Absolutely. So Sixth Sense, at time of recording anyway, currently available for free on Hulu and Peacock, pay to rent on Prime, and everybody's favorite, (laughs) (laughs) Voodoo. I always love when you throw in
0: these random ass streaming companies. (laughs) And,
1: And we have a new streaming service, Potemkin. We have Potemkin. It's isn't it? available for 17 rubies on Potemkin.
0: <laughs> All right, well, let's get into tonight's movie. Mm-hmm. This is a movie that is huge for our childhood. I mean, it came mm-hmm. out when both of us were probably, what, 10 or 11? Something like that, man. I, I remember it
1: engulfing the culture. I have memories of people talking about this movie I when I was I remember being yeah.
0: on the school bus and hearing kids talking about the, the twist ending. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it's just, it is truly an iconic, uh, era-defining at its time. Yeah. We'll discuss maybe how, how well it's aged, but it was one of those waves that took over the country when it came out. But a film that is, as mentioned, one of mine, and when Drew and I, we talked about this last week, but for the non-devotees, I'll just reiterate, when we did the original 20... Both Drew and I selected one what we were calling shamer, and this was mine. uh, This is a movie that, yeah, Drew's was ET, which ironically turned out to be a a A dual for both of us, a a dual shamer. Um, But this was the movie that I wouldn't even say it's been on my radar. You can't avoid it. It's a pie in the face. It's so culturally
0: with us, you know, much like ET was to some degree. What did you know about? The movie. I mean, did you hear all the spoilers of this movie? I'm guessing you did. Yeah, I did. I mean, well, I heard the spoiler. Yeah, you know, and that is the
1: primary reason that I never decided to track this movie down and see it on my own time because I felt like, eh, I know, I know the twist. It has been ruined. Like, I'm not gonna be able to really enjoy and this was before this was when i was just a, a, a sapling of a spoiler phobe this was pre-internet <laughs> all this shit i i really like i guess it's how maybe that's what set me over the edge now i'm crazy man running out of a movie theater when a pta trailer shows up so yeah i kind of wrote it off i thought oh it's a it's a twist movie i mean i didn't think this way as a kid but i was like i don't need to see it and also at that time i had uh I, 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 di- I really didn't like horror films. So I heard about this ghosty movie. The twist ending was spoiled. I don't like being afraid or certainly did like as a kid. I was like, I don't like horror films. I'm skipping this one. Then we get to where we're at today, and or recently anyway, when we're constructing the original board. It's like, that's just one. It's time to see it. Like, I, I know the ending. I recall the, inf- the conversation I had where it was revealed to me. I recall the spoil. And, but let's just see this movie. Let's see it almost like how, how good does it work when you know that going in? So I was excited to kind of figure out how I feel about it. We'll discuss it in due time, but that's kind of the story of how it got on the
0: board for me. What did you know about this movie going in? Have you seen it before? So I have seen it before, but I've only seen it once before. Mm. I, like you was not into horror movies growing up. I was not allowed to see this movie when it first came out. So it was this thing that was just, you know, it was in the culture, obviously. And like, mm-hmm. like I said, like I, I knew the spoiler of this movie. I mean, I saw fucking Fifty First dates in 2004, which spoils this movie because it's like, yeah. you know, they use that as a plot point. She's watching Sixth Sense for the first time every time she relives her day. And um, so I knew the spoiler, but like you, I go went into my first viewing of it being like, okay, let's, let's see, does this work? Because mm-hmm. I, I had the same kind of inclination where it was like, I know the spoiler. I I don't think it's going to be as effective watching this movie knowing that, but I watched it knowing it. And I was like, I was blown away by the construction of it. And and it's one of those things where it, it because the spoiler is so obvious on second viewing, you can kind mm-hmm. of watch it and and flip a switch in your brain to be like, how would I see this as someone who didn't know this? Yeah. You know? And yes. and because it's so simple and because there's not he's not do like like i love how controlled he is with the camera and all of this stuff because he lets you just kind of soak in what's happening within the scene and right. it allows you to to put yourself in that headspace of like what would this look like to someone who had no idea what the ending of this is yeah does that make so sense
1: it makes complete sense so not only are we able to kind of try to flip that switch off and of, of like, or, or like you're saying, picture yourself in a first-time viewer's shoes. And where were they getting fooled? Where were they not picking up on these things that seem obvious to us because we're in on the gag at this point for yeah. our first viewings. But it, it is kind of fun to imagine, how, how, like, it's easy to see how someone could be fooled by this movie. For sure. Like, And I am a
0: little envious of people who had that experience. Like that would have been cool. For sure. No, I, there, I, I wish I could have been in a theater in nineteen ninety nine seeing this. There are a few things
1: better cinematically than when a twist really gets you and you didn't know it was a twist film. That's and it's it's really good. That's awesome. And it doesn't happen that often, especially these days. Mm-hmm. Um I find that just knowing a movie is a twist film. And knowing nothing beyond that changes
0: the way people watch it. It certainly changes the way I watch it. Well, you know, it's interesting. I think what you're saying is why a movie like Knives Out finds so much success right now. Because Mm -hmm. it's like it's a movie that you can go into and it's an experience watching the movie unravel itself, you know? Mm -hmm. And I I think that's so fascinating. And I just bought tickets to Glass Onion coming out soon. because that's they just went that on coming sale, up? And they're doing a one-week-only run in theaters. So you have to buy tickets now. Whoa, you, whoa, Yeah, you should go pick them up. Oh, because it's a Netflix film, right? Exactly.
1: Right, I forgot about that. Yeah, okay, good call out there.
0: Yeah, so you should do that. And everyone yeah. who's listening to this now, you're you're even a little bit later to the game, but uh, do it yeah. yourselves, because this movie that's is going to one you theaters. want to see in theaters with a crowd. Because that yeah. was the fun of that movie. And, and that's the fun of this movie, of just like hearing people react to this stuff happen in real time is just so powerful. But even still, and going back to my first viewing of this, so the first time I watched this was three years ago. Surprisingly late. Let me just ask you this real quick. Do you remember the thought,
1: like, was there something about, like, it's time. It's time to check the six sets off the list. Did
0: something spur it for you? Yeah, well, actually, it was me starting to get into horror because Mm. as i mentioned before i didn't watch it growing up it was Mm -hmm. i i I remember i was like four or five years old and i was staying over at a friend's place i would like we were both at my friend's house and we were being babysat and the babysitter put on child's play on the tv chucky yeah and that doll haunted me the rest of my childhood so i like i grew up with this thought in my head, I don't like horror. I don't want to watch horror. It's not for me. And like, for whatever reason that burrowed into my brain. And I I had that idea even past college age. And like, Mm -hmm. I really only started to get into horror within the last five years. And I've realized it's like one of my favorite genres. I find it Mm. so fun and Mm. I've gotten so like it's 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 one of the the things about movies right now that is energizing me the most is just like expanding my knowledge of the horror genre. So I've been getting into that for the last few years and this is one of the, you know, parts of that that history that I just hadn't watched yeah. yet and so I was like, yeah, let's throw it on, let's check it out. Yeah. And like
1: another member of our list, the Blair Witch project. An absolutely iconic film from our era. That they also just
0: opened come... like within weeks of each other.
1: Really? Oh, I didn't know that. That's really cool. I forget. Sorry. Have you seen Blair
0: Witch? Yes, I have. Okay, great. you
1: have. I wanted to circle back to us on second viewing with this. I I really like you and I. You know, we're like we're movie nerds. We love uh, kind of seeing behind the scenes of how they pull this st- stuff off, how these things work. That is something for people like us that's really fun about seeing this movie spoiled already. You know, Even though that's not ideal, we get that fun thing of like, which everyone else got on second viewing, like how did they do this? How did they pull this magic trick off? Where are they sort of misleading us? And so for people like us, it's fun to see that. I wish I could see it with fresh eyes. Yeah. It was fun seeing the magician at work. No, I
0: I love that analogy because it's the same reason that you and I get really excited about stuff like the special features of the Lord of the Rings mm-hmm. DVDs, you know? Mm-hmm. Like watching the making of these things is fascinating to both of us and I think that's mm-hmm. that's definitely influencing my reaction at least of watching this movie because it is you're watching a magic trick knowing yeah. where it's going. Totally.
1: Before we get into our general reactions, I'm curious, you mentioned the 1999 is being sort of this like iconic movie year. I can think of one other movie off the top of my head being The Matrix that came out in 99. But other than that, I'm not really sure about
0: this mythos. I'm kind of curious to hear more about it. Yeah. Well, 1999 is a year that is so great that there's an entire podcast dedicated to it called Podcast Like It's 1999. Good name. The movies that came out that year, I mean... The, number, the sheer number of movies from that year that are still a part of our cultural conversation is staggering. I'm gonna, mm. I'll i just run through a list of, of, of like everyone that I pulled that I felt like was notable. Not everyone. I mean, there's a bunch mm-hmm. that I thought were notable. The ones that really like, popped. This, this is the mainstream. Yeah, yeah. Fight Club, Magnolia, The Matrix, Star Wars Episode One, The Phantom Menace, 10 Things I Hate About You, Eyes Wide Shut, Office Space, Boys Don't Cry, Election, The Blair Witch Project, The Virgin Suicides, American Pie, All About My Mother, Galaxy Quest, Cruel Intentions, Being John Malkovich, Notting Hill, American Beauty, The Talented Mr. Ripley, The Green Mile, Austin Powers, The Spy Who Shagged The Insider. That's just a fucking wow. sub- small segment of that year.
1: I, I would wager to say I've seen three-fourths of those, two-thirds, something like that. I've seen the majority
0: of them. Just to contextualize it even further, the week that this came out, The Sixth Sense, it came out in August, which generally speaking at that point in time was a dumping ground for movies. It was a time where mm. like you would put your movie that you weren't confident enough that it would be a big summer hit, but you also didn't think it was Oscar-worthy. Like mm. the, that That's your August slate in terms of release time. That the week that this came out was the same week that the Iron Giant came out, Mystery wow. Men, and the Thomas Crown affair, which are all great movies, in my opinion.
1: Oh, that is so cool, dude. I, I never really knew how many were coming out of '99. And it kind of reminds me, actually, on this show, we covered the taking of Pelham 123. And on the commentary track, which was not done by the filmmakers, it was one of those historian sort of deals where it's like, you know, they're professors at a university just talking about this movie. And it was pretty good. And as they're winding down in the podcast, they do a little list of here's what you could have seen in the theaters when Taking of Pelham was out. And it was just unreal. And it was like, holy shit. You know, because that was, what, 74? Five, seventy. I want to say. Yeah, it sounds right.
0: Another year that's like that is nineteen eighty-two. If you look at the nineteen eighty-two list, like at one point, like E.T., Ghostbusters, and like one other major movie from the eighties were all out at the same time and you could see them in theaters. The thing. The thing. It might have been that year. Yeah. Yeah, because I think, I think it was.
1: I had heard I don't remember if it was E. T. had come out around the same time or maybe a little before.
0: Yeah, no, but I it's think like, you're
1: right. Yeah, and it's like the Mood of the Nation was like reportedly a positive alien film, and they just rejected the thing and all that. But I, I wonder if we've had any of those great years recently. We we don't have enough time for Well, them. I think
0: 2007 is the other one that comes to mind, because that's the year oh, yeah. of No Country, no Country for Country. Old Men, um, There Will Be Blood. Um, there's a, there's a bunch of great movies from that year. Did Before the Devil Knows You're Dead come out that year? Yep. Same
1: year. I fucking love that movie, dude. That movie is awesome. Anyway, but
0: 1999. I mean, like, think about that list I just read off. Like, if you read that many, like, movies. I mean, we still talk about things like, like the the lesser tier of what I just listed is like your American Pies. Yeah, I was thinking about American Pie the other day, like less than 48 hours
1: ago. I, I've seen that movie once. I'm not an American Pie super fan. It's a solid comedy, and so, but it's to your point. It's just so culturally still with me. It's just crazy. It's nuts. It's nuts. And like you said, it's like it's like a a B team.
0: It's like a B side of that movie list you just ran through. Ten things I hate about you. I mean, that's a movie that, like, dude, I've never seen that. By the way, I mean, like, it's not. I I don't think it's a great movie. I'm not gonna like push you to put it on the board, but it's a movie that is. So culturally relevant for our generation. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, crazy, crazy, crazy year of movies, and The Sixth Sense is arguably the biggest movie of that year. Mm, I would probably
1: put The Matrix as number one in terms of. I'm just
0: saying, arguably, but yes, yeah. I, I think I agree with you um, that The Matrix is is. I mean, that movie is generation defining. Like it is, oh dude, insanely massive in the the landscape of cinema history. But (laughs) I would say that this movie, I mean, this movie had um, one of the biggest impacts on the movie going public, I would say of any movie Mm -hmm. in history, but getting back to the sixth sense, how do you feel generally about twist movies?
1: It's a complicated, it's a complicated relationship that I have with twist movies, to be honest. And I kind of tipped my hand a little bit earlier, but I said something to the effect of like I don't I don't even like knowing it's a twist movie when I go into it. If I go into oh this is a movie and then the twist comes around and punches me in the face, it is awesome. It is a rare occurrence. If you if you see a movie it's a twist film, someone someone tells you you won't believe the ending. It's a twist. You just sit there and you get the detective hat on and you're just looking for anything a little out of place or a little weird and it just it morphs everything. But when you get that clean experience and it just slaps you in the face, it's like, whoa. Like one that really got me in my lifetime was Fight Club, another 99 movie actually that you mentioned in that list. That was a movie I went in and saw at at my friend Dan's house and did not know it was a twist film at all. So when that comes around, that's like, holy shit. It changes the entire movie. Everything's different. It's great. Another one I'll throw in that I had forgotten about till uh, my friend Graham mentioned it today. Actually, is Saw, the original Saw yeah. has an incredible twist ending, and I didn't know it was a twist film. So I get so weird with these with my spoiler aversion and my issues with twists that if I'm rec- recommending a twist movie to someone, I don't even want to to say it. so it's just just watch it, just watch it. And so even then, I'm like I don't even want to mention my favorite twist movies, but. I mean, most people our age have seen or at least know that Saw and Fight Club or Twist films. Yeah, there's another layer to it though, where oh, The Prestige is another one I'll throw in there. Oh yeah, uh, that's a great. That's one. a great. That's a great. And we were talking about magic acts earlier. You know, The Prestige is is literally. literally talking about the magic act of filmmaking and twists, and it's like baked into the plot of the movie. It's so good, man. I I, I think that's one of Nolan's most underrated. There is. A risk, though, of twist movies being a little cheap, I think.
0: It can be read as gimmicky because it's like you... A a bad movie can use a crazy ending to gloss over a Mm -hmm. lot of other failures within the storytelling of that film. Like, Mm -hmm. you you can throw in a juicy, fun, crazy ending and make people think they watched a good movie. Yeah. But I think, like twists in the right hands can be really really effective and i think mm-hmm. this is a great example of that yeah
1: going into it i i was really focused on the construction of the magic act just like i mentioned earlier as film people we like to think about that shit like how do they pull off that she's not really looking at him or it just but it but it seems like that she's just icing them out. You know, all these different layers to it. I think it's a, it's a really, really good film. Like, I, I, I liked it a lot. Okay, so I don't know, overall,
0: you, you really enjoyed it.
1: Yeah, I enjoyed it. I don't, think, I don't think the twist, knowing the twist, which I don't know how it's possible for anyone, an adult our age to see this movie with clean eyes it's so exposed i think
0: i don't think it's possible for for people of our age but i have heard anecdotes of people like who are in high school right now who don't that's know cool what that is yeah it, it would be a movie I i'd mean, like look to. it's been 23 years since this movie yeah. came out like it's it's a movie that if you weren't born before it came out, I feel like it's it's maybe not in your on your radar the same way it yeah. is for us. I think that's a good point. So I
1: think the next generation of people behind us younger than us, they have the ex- the opportunity to see this because it's not like it's still referenced to this day by people our age and older, but no, I can't imagine a bunch of kids are throwing around sixth sense references, you know. It's not like pulp fiction or whatever. No, not at just all. sort of timeless snappy dialogue. So, yeah, that's a good point. There, there's a They have a shot to see this clean. I think it's really good. Okay. Uh, definitely worth seeing. I would not call it a great film. I understand why it had such a big impact, and it deserves its legacy as an all-time twist film. Hmm. But I think um, there were certain scenes that really shook me up and rocked me and were really, really strong. I wasn't expecting that. Um, and... So there were plenty of pleasant surprises to my reaction to the movie, but I would not call it a a, a tremendous, amazing film necessarily. I would say it's really solid. Like, uh, in the same league, maybe a little stronger than like an Aaron Brockovich, a movie that you and oh, I both wow. had. Like, positive I take that good as
0: disrespect.
1: Disrespect. Wow. I mean, I throwing a little shade at Aaron Brockovich with the back of your hand there. But well, I'm I knew saying how like, you
0: felt about Aaron Brockovich. I'm saying for the sixth yeah. sense, I feel like that's, I would that's say derision in some ways, because I think this movie is a masterpiece.
1: Okay. So I, I do not think masterpiece. I think really good. Um, trying to think of other M night Shyamalan movies. I like a lot and how it ranks there. We'll probably stumble into that category sooner, but sooner rather than later. But yeah, I think it's, you know, B plus, A minus, really good. I mean, B plus like, is really good. Is a, is a good rating. For sure. And I and I don't want to make it sound like I like this is a really good movie. It it deserves to be praised. But I would not call it a masterpiece.
0: Okay. How do you feel about this movie? So this was only my second viewing of this movie, and okay. I really was blown away by it on my first viewing. I think on second viewing it it went down just a hair Mm. like we're talking five star to four and a half star right right, but i think this movie on a construction level is nearly perfect and i and i think in some ways i feel like you're devaluing just how good the magic trick of this movie is Mm. this movie is immaculately constructed There is a very good reason why this script, when it got passed around Hollywood, and we'll get into the origins of this movie, but when this script went around Hollywood, people freaked out and there was a bidding war. Really? There's a reason for that. Because when you read something like this that doesn't give away its its punchline until the very, very end, and it Mm. completely flips what your experience is, that is the kind of magic trick that only happens like once in a generation of, of filmmaking. Yeah. And to me, this is like top five of what we've covered on the show. Unquestionably. Whoa. Unquestionably. Very
1: high praise. It is,
0: it is so well done. And it is why like, like there is a very fucking good reason that, and, and and it's really funny in retrospect given like the arc of his career now but there's a fucking reason why all the magazines were putting m night shyamalan on the cover of their magazine and saying the next spielberg like mm-hmm. it that was a real thing at that time and like i think that's something that's kind of been lost in the last 20 years is mm. is the fact that there's a reason we thought this about this guy because this mm-hmm. thing is fucking amazing It it is a really really incredible achievement of filmmaking that i think can get forgotten in the conversation of the best genre films ever made and and i don't i i i want it to have its place in history
1: yeah i love that comparison to spielberg and even though you're saying that like the the, the magazines were saying with that yeah you know yeah Brief aside, I do. have you ever seen the uh, Charlie Rose interview with Adam Sandler and Paul Thomas Anderson? I have, yeah. There's a line in there that that kills me, where Charlie Rose reads back a a quote from PTA when he was younger back to him. And it was something along the lines of like, I don't know if I want to run the world and be Steven Spielberg or just fuck off to England like Kubrick. And Rose reads that to PTA, and he's like, I said that? And And Adam Sandler just turns to him and goes... It's a little arrogant. (laughs) And and Paul says something to the effect of like, or I could just be myself. How about that? Like uh, but it's just just funny. It is very played out to your point to make those comparisons to you know it's it's kind of lazy in a way, but I do see it here where as much as you and I both adore and love Spielberg, he tends to make movies that are somewhat uncomplicated. I don't want to make that sound insulting. And we actually have Schindler's List on, on our list, on our board, that I think that's going to be a really complicated film to watch and discuss. Well, so, I
0: think it is interesting to compare this movie to E.T. in some way. Given the use of a child star, given the mm-hmm. use of like... You know, family trauma being something that that's informing that that character's background. I I don't know. I think there are comparisons to be made, and just the way that Shyamalan works with child actors. And look, I mean, we'll get to Shyamalan as as a director. But one thing I will mention here is, like, after this movie, he was getting touted for stuff like Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Mm. He was getting touted for that because of number one, his ability to craft kind of a darker atmosphere but number two his ability to work with a child actor like that was Mm -hmm. part of it and he had made a movie right before this called Wide Awake and the central character of that movie was a kid
1: Mm. and he obviously visited again with signs and I'm sure there are other examples too that I'm that I'm not super well versed we'll get into that too with Shyamalan but I could see it because because that performance is is incredible in this movie mm-hmm. and it is all very well structured it's a Rube goldberg machine where it's just like you know the boot swings around and kicks the bucket and all this sort of nonsense but it's perfectly executed
0: mm-hmm.
1: i generally find myself more drawn to the looser ones looser films and it reminds me actually of I was listening to that podcast you recommended to me, which is Ryan Johnson mentioning the movies he would add to AFI. And he was mentioning how he's drawn to looseness because it's so different than what he does. Ryan Johnson, I think, is in that lineage of a Shyamalan and things like that. Of well, like, we
0: brought up Knives out earlier. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You, when you mentioned that, I was like, that's a great, another film of intense strategic structure. The brothers I mean, just, Bloom
0: and Brick are the exact same way
1: yeah and looper and looper, looper is a yeah, no, huge absolutely. structure film so and he described his movies as like a swiss watch which i think is a really good he wasn't pounding his chest he was just saying he likes he never to make does. he's a humble ass no dude. he's v- very humble and he's very self-effacing i find him really charming I love ryan a, johnson love love his movies and seems like a great person um but yeah he just yeah he does structure these really cool things and i I think you might be maybe drawn to those a little more than I am. Not I to speak so. for you, but yeah. Well, and, and I, I think that also... our difference. Well,
0: look, I mean, like, we keep kind of unraveling this this difference in our tastes, I think, as yeah. we go along. Because I think going back to our conversation we had during the Moulin Rouge episode, where we're mm-hmm. talking about maximalism and theatricality, like, I think that's of the same vein as, like, highly constructed, tight Tightly wound films like this, yeah. Um, I think they're all in the same. It's the same line of thinking. It's like it's like a filmmaker's stranglehold on the overall vibe of an entire movie, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. I think like the, the imprint. And then to kind of unravel our taste differences a little bit further, look at a film like Repo Man, which I adored. Perfect. You, yeah. you kind of weren't really feeling. And that is a movie that is loose as a goose and, and, and taking every long road it could choose to wander down. And I, mm-hmm. I adored it. So, yeah, I, it's just so fun as we kind of figure this out. But we have a ton of middle ground that we often find on the show. And I do want to make it clear. I really do like this movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, I, do, yeah.
0: I didn't think you, you disliked it.
1: I want to get into Shyamalan, if now feels like a good time. Let's to you, do man. it. Because like my, my feeling is you're like a huge fan. I don't know if that's true, but I, I know you were super into old But I don't know much about the other movies of his that you've seen, the ones that you really respond to, and maybe any holes in the filmography that you're looking to to kind of patch up. How do you feel about Shyamalan in general?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think you might think that I'm a bigger fan than I am, mostly because I think I'm more of a fan of the story arc of his career than I am about him as a filmmaker. Um, Mm -hmm. I did love Old. I think that movie is is. Extremely underrated, I think, yeah, it's again like it's it's very similar to the sixth Sense to me in the way that it's immaculately constructed, and the the meticulous camera moves that he's doing in that movie I think are um very similar to what he's doing in this mm-hmm. but I think overall you know i i there are movies of his that I love, there are movies of his that I hate I think you know, upper tier for me is the sixth sense, old, and uh I love the village. I think the village mm. is amazing it It really upsets me how many people write that movie off because of things that I think are really superfluous and stupid anyway. Mm-hmm. the village rules then I think like lower tier for me is like the happening and after earth and yeah, I, I think I think that's Lady, kind in, of the like, Lady I heard in the Water. Lady in the Water, I I didn't even finish. I got like halfway through, and I was like, "Dude, I, I heard I'm people out. trash that movie." Yeah, yeah. So that that's the low tier for me. So like, he's got extreme highs, extreme lows. But I think he is one of the most human filmmakers. I find him so fascinating because you see this early part of his career. I mean, this movie came out, The Sixth Sense, that is, came out on. Knight's 29th birthday. Like he was a kid. Wow. And just, just a wonderkind. Just yeah. I I mean, yeah. and this was his third film. That's another thing. Like people Crazy. think of this as being his debut, but I mean, he had Praying with Anger, which was a essentially a student film. I mean, he made it his senior year at at Tish, um NYU, uh when when he was like 22 years old and he was the star of it. So but I mean it is a, a full feature film. And then he made Wide Awake when he was like 27 or so, um, which was, you know, another movie starring a kid that's about, you know, kind of a kid grappling with religion and and faith. And um, it's not a good movie. So, yeah, I mean, he had made other movies before this, but this is like his coming out party as a filmmaker, like an auteur who has a point of view and a, a style. What I find interesting about him, though, is that. He goes from this Wonderkind era of his filmmaking career, and then he has Lady in the Water. The Village was kind of mixed received, and then he had mm. Lady in the Water, and then he had The Happening, which was just a colossal disaster. And from there, you know, he had his ego checked, and he had to go from being this writer, director, producer, Wonderkind to being this humbled director that will smith hires as kind of a favor to him to try and get his career back on track for after Earth, and mm-hmm. he then has to literally mortgage his house to make movies like the visit and split and glass like the dude doubled down on his career at at the lowest point and it it, it shows this this drive and this like he has this filmmaker in him that sometimes i think gets suppressed by his own ego where Mm -hmm. he thinks that he's better than he is and he doesn't just like let himself have fun with it um Mm -hmm. i don't know he's he's so human to me as a filmmaker and i i love watching him grapple with that and you see that in his filmmaking like as he matures like his more recent movies like You see the maturity, like the layer of like, I've learned from some of my mistakes and I'm still struggling with some other ones. Like he's, he's Mm -hmm. fascinating.
1: One thing that he really surprised me with in this film particularly is I've always viewed him as almost like a statistician or like an engineer, as someone Mm -hmm. who creates these beautiful machines And kind of plug and plays with the actors. Like I've never, he's never seemed like a filmmaker to me for whatever reason. That unlocks tremendous performances. It's more about the story that everyone is functioning in. Is 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 the spotlight of the of these films? But he really swam against my expectations and was kind of slapping me in the face with this film. There are some extraordinary performances, and it was one of those reality checks for me. It's like where did I get that idea? Why did I think that? He's like, Shyamalan's like this, again, a lazy comparison, but like this George Lucas type. It's just like, uh, stand there and say that line now.
0: You know, I think that's an interesting comparison. I'm glad you bring up George Lucas because one of the big complaints about Shyamalan as a writer specifically is his inability to write really human sounding dialogue. Mm
1: -hmm. And
0: I think this movie is the best of what he can do. And like the worst is the happening where you just see that these (laughs) these people don't talk like human beings. And when you don't put the right actor in that part that knows what to do with that dialogue, it doesn't work at all. Mm -hmm. And it's one of those things where like when you go into a Shyamalan movie, you have to go in just being like, you know what? These people are going to talk in a Shyamalan way. It is what it is. And let's listen to what he's trying to say with those words as opposed to what he's actually saying.
1: Right, so you're saying, and Lucas to you is similar to that, like, like definitely, yeah. He like, yeah, uh, just think of any, pretty much any lot of dialogue from Star Wars, is like not it's really bad. how people talk. It's just, it's, it's, it's hammy, and I mean, it's again,
0: bad, but it's fun, right? Yeah, it's,
1: it's not trying to be Shakespeare. No. it's just, t- it's telling a good story, and 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 there's nothing wrong with that. It's not everything has to be, yeah. Not that everything has to be searing David Merritt Mamet, you know, like punch in the face, amazing dialogue. But it's got kind of its just own fun.
0: lyrical quality in its own way.
1: And honestly, it was not even something I noticed. And I have a pretty um, somewhat of a of a tendency to roll my eyes at bad dialogue when it really slaps you in the face. I'm like, Jesus, come yeah. on now. I, I didn't do a single one of those in this movie. Upon your recommendation, I saw Old. On the plane, ugh. I hate watching movies for the first time on a plane.
0: I, I apologize to M. There's a specific type Night. of movie that's a plane movie, and maybe that's yeah. a chinwagger for another day.
1: Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a good chinwag topic. But th- I think that was the film that made me draw the line in the sand. Never again will I watch a movie for the first time on a plane. <laughs> Repeats only. It's so unfair to the filmmaker. It's a disastrous way to watch a movie. But I liked Old. I thought it was, it was fun, it was dark, but he does, I want to bounce this idea with you a little bit, like, is he hampered by the fact that he seemingly only does twist films? Like, all the ones we've talked about, the ones anyway that you mentioned that I have seen, all have some sort of significant turn or twist, maybe
0: not signs, but... Well, look, I think maybe something that's being sort of lost in this conversation of quote unquote twist films is like, what is the line between a twist film and a suspense movie? Because all thriller suspense movies have some sort of upheaval at one point in the story. So Mm -hmm. like, where do we draw that line? Because to me, like, Old is not a twist movie to me. I mean, I think I I agree. There's there's a there's a point in the movie where you learn something deeper about what's going on there. But the the ultimate conceit of the movie of like a beach that makes you old, like you learn that within 25 minutes of the movie. Like it's not like that's not a twist. Yeah.
1: No, no, it's a mystery film, really. It's not a twist. It's more in the vein of of say, like a we were talking about knives out there is a difference. It's hard to kind of define what, what's the difference between a twist and just an unexpected turn in a film, you know? And, but looking at his filmography and the stuff that I, I have seen, and I agree old to me is not a twist film. It's like a It's a horror mystery
0: suspense film. You're mostly just watching these people deal with their yeah. problem.
1: Like unbreakable. That's a twist film. I think. Sure. The sixth sense. That's a twist film. The Village, I think, is a twist film, but but some of these others really aren't. So maybe I was a little harsh when I said he only makes twist films. I don't think that's really true, as we kind of examine it. But he does... I have an impression of him, it's probably unfair, that he's a bit of a one-trick pony, but he does different tricks all the time. But it's like, you kind of know what you're getting when you go into an M. Night Shyamalan film. And you could probably say that a lot of filmmakers, but he kind of seems to really stay within a very specific set of boundaries he's had for himself. And I, I wonder if that will prevent him from being one of the all time greats, Uh, but he's still a very strong filmmaker and he's really good at what he does.
0: Well, look like I don't think every filmmaker has to be a multifaceted filmmaker, right? Mm -hmm. Like John Carpenter is one of the great all time filmmakers and he never succeeded in any genre really outside of the sci-fi horror realm. Mm-hmm. Right.
1: Yeah, I think that's fair. I was thinking like they live sci-fi. Yeah, I mean, all these is a, a
0: branch out in some ways, but other than that, yeah. like it's it's really like he has a lane and he does really yeah. really well in that lane. I don't yeah, think that's right. a problem. That de- like you're right. You're that's just right. a different type of filmmaker than your Spielberg's, who are like I need to prove myself in every genre <laughs> imaginable.
1: Yeah, and so maybe maybe I overvalued diversity within a filmography. You know, I'm always blown away by someone like a a Rob Reiner or something, even though I'm not like the greatest fan of all of his films. I do see
0: that filmography and like, what? That's crazy. Let's talk about the origins of this movie because the the beginnings of this movie are fascinating. So, as I mentioned before, this is not his first film. A lot of people think this this is his debut, but that's just because this is the one that defined his style. But he had made two films before this. I mentioned Praying with Anger, his essentially student film, and then Wide Awake was his kind of kid's movie. He kind of turned into writing after Wide Awake. He wrote the movie Stuart Little, which is, you know, that, that kid's movie with the CGI the mouse, mouse yeah. uh, Michael J. Fox voiced. It was a big movie. Um, so, you know, he was, he was doing well for himself writing, and he did some ghost writing and, and other stuff. He's a young twenty-something who's trying to make it in Hollywood, right? And he's writing mm-hmm. all these things and he's writing spec scripts and he writes ten drafts of, of The Sixth Sense. Apparently originally Bruce Willis's character was like a crime scene investigator. He wasn't a child psychologist. Um, so he went through multiple iterations of this thing and he said he kept like every time he would write one, he would pick up an idea and he'd like kind of run with that and he would build that into the the overall thing. So he was like piecing it together over time. And then he landed on this twist ending of, of you know, the character being a ghost and he was like it unlocked it and, and he went back and he wrote it and he'd like just breeze through the final draft. He takes it to. Producer Barry Mendel, he shops it around town. There's bidding war about it because it's just one of these scripts that people just get fucking blown away by as soon as they read it. An executive from Disney reads this script and he offers $3 million for it. This executive bought it without corporate approval and he ended up getting fired for spending this money on the script. Wow, so M. Night took the three mil took the three mil and there was a rider in the, the uh, contract that said he would have to direct the movie, which is even Mm -hmm. crazier. He's an unproven director and he sells a script for $3 million and is attached to direct overnight. It's crazy. Nuts. Nuts. So Disney buys this movie and then they fire this guy and they're like, what the fuck do we do with this thing? We don't know what to do with this. Simultaneous to that Bruce Willis, is making a movie called Broadway Brawler. He's making it for a subsidiary of Disney. The movie is costing a lot of money. It's apparently like kind of a ripoff of Jerry Maguire, set with a hockey team as opposed to you know a, a sports <laughs> agent. And Fuck
1: you, Hollywood! It's oh my Bruce God. Willis
0: and Maura Tierney, but. Anyway, they're filming this movie. They've already sunk $17.5 million into this movie, and that's before Bruce Willis's salary, which is $7.5 million. You're talking so about the Broadway one? Broadway not, not, Brawler. Yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. This is 1997. This is before The Sixth Sense ever comes to be. So he's making Broadway Brawler, and he's throwing hissy fits on the sets. Bruce Willis is a notorious asshole in the history of Hollywood. And I feel kind of bad saying that now because he's dealing with some health issues and I'll talk about that in a second. But he at this time was known as just the hardest actor to work with in terms of a list stars in Hollywood. And they're making this movie He keeps like, like apparently Bruce Willis is just like giving acting notes to other actors on set, essentially acting as the director, overriding, you know, the filmmaker, which is Lee Grant. She's a a female filmmaker and he's just walking all over in a horrible situation. He goes to the extent of shutting down production because he's a producer on it and he just like shuts it down and Disney is pissed the fuck off. So they force Bruce Willis at that point into a new contract that guarantees that Bruce is going to do three movies for them at a reduced fee to cover the cost of the losses on that production. Movie never gets finished. It never gets made. Mm. So he agrees to three movies. The three movies are this movie, Armageddon and Disney's the kid, which is like what they made on the back of this movie, because apparently Bruce Willis could work with kids all of a sudden. Mm -hmm. He is getting past these scripts by Disney. They pass him this one and he immediately reads it. And he's like, I'm in that that's I, I want to be a part of that. So, yeah, that that's the the origins of how this movie got put together. And, and like it's crazy to think that this movie in a lot of ways, you know, after that point, weirdly was kind of an afterthought for Disney as a production. They didn't mm-hmm. see a lot of potential in this thing. It ended up being the second highest grossing horror movie of all time. The only one that surpassed it is actually came out after it's it and it so for a long time it was the highest grossing horror movie of all time and at that point it was the second highest grossing movie of the year that year wow among that entire pack of 1999 movies that we just mentioned mm. and it grossed 300 million dollars domestically
1: i'm just curious were you able to see what the budget for the film was other than the 3 million for the script was that readily available just Bruce like
0: Bruce Willis's salary was 10 million dollars on this movie the movie's entire production budget including that salary was 40 million
1: that's just crazy man that like that the script was so aggressively fought over there's a cantankerous Bruce Willis gets roped into this thing sees the script's loves it and were you able to hear if they had a good working relationship? I mean, they repeated it several times. Yeah, so no, apparently
0: so. they got along really, really well. And cool. I, think, I think Bruce Willis was just really excited to do something that allowed him to actually act. You yeah. know, you see this throughout Bruce Willis's career. And maybe this is a good time to talk about him. Yeah, let's get into Bruce. What's, I mean, how do you feel generally about him? Because I, I'm a big fan, yeah. but he is one of the all-time hit-or-miss actors.
1: Yeah. I like him. I love his performance in Pulp Fiction. I believe the movie Die Hard to be a little overrated. I really like it. Ooh, hot take. But it's it's so often named as like one of the greatest action movies ever made. I don't see it that way. I think it's I think it's really good, but I don't understand why it is I so saw you loved. As
0: being a John McTiernan stan. That's interesting.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, not really. And I actually did like him in Unbreakable and I do like his his charisma. His on-camera charisma is really high. But I don't have a ton of respect for him as an as an actor. You know, he's very much in that movie star mold to me, and I think he's very good at that. But at times he does surprise me. In, in a similar way that M Night did, I think he's really good in this film. Yeah. But overall I would say I'm I'm thumbs up to Bruce Willis. I like him. Uh, but he's not like he's not like an Arnold Schwarzenegger level for me, like favorite movie star ever. Or whatever.
0: You know, it's he's such a fascinating actor to me because I, I'm with you generally, but I mean, there are these flashes of brilliance from him where you're just like, man, you could have been ten other different types of actor. Mm. And I'm thinking of things like Death Becomes Her and Moonrise Kingdom, like where you just watch him get to like stretch his weird offbeat wings and he mm-hmm. embraces it and it's really yeah. fun to watch yeah
1: i wanted to say one of the thing too you mentioned him being kind of offbeat and weird in those movies like death becomes her i totally agree it's really fun to see bruce willis not playing the cool guy because he's so often plays just the too cool for school and these action movie stuff it's just fun to see him so if he's frazzled or if he's weird or if he's strange in some way um i find it
0: very charming i will say that watching his performance in this it's one of those performances where you're like i could see like 10 other actors maybe giving a a similar performance Mm, i think that's true I don't know. At that time, that point in time, I could see a Tom Cruise doing the same performance here. Yeah. You know? No, I think,
1: that's, I think that's a really great point. We can all think of those performances where we're just like, I can't picture anybody else doing that. Right. You know, something like... Uh, Heath Ledger as the Joker. That yeah, performance. Great example. Joaquin Phoenix and the Master. It's like, I can't picture someone else doing that. And this is not one of those. This is You could kind of plug and play. So I, I agree with that. But I will say, I think he is really good with the kid and him portraying this very um, empathetic child psychologist who's trying to rectify yeah. wrongs from earlier in his life. He really pulls it off. He seems very, he seems very warm. He's cool. He's cool. He's cool. But he's not like intimidating leather jacket cool. No. You know, He's not the fonds. Approachable cool. Yeah. He's, he's, he's calm. And he's, he's very kind. And I, I, really, I, I really do dig the performance, even though I do agree that
0: it could it, other
1: people could have done it. I don't know if they could have done it quite as well. He, he, he balances it nice.
0: Well, to go back to what you were asking me earlier, though, the, the, him and M. Night Shyamalan did apparently get along really well. And apparently, I heard an anecdote that Bruce Willis gave Shyamalan his first hangover. Because at the time, Willis was DJing a lot in his spare time. That's a whole other part of this conversation. Have you ever That's listened it. to, to uh, Bruno? No, I have not. Didn't know it existed. He goes by Bruno when he's playing as a musician. And he has two albums on Spotify. I highly recommend people go listen to them. Any good? No.
1: No. <laughs> no. Sorry, Bruce.
0: But it is a really funny period of his career. It's like right when Die Hard was coming out. Mm-hmm. But anyway, um, he was working as a DJ a little bit on the side, like he just loves spinning records at parties and stuff. So at, at the end of shooting, they would throw parties and, and Bruce would DJ. And apparently he would pass Shyamalan shots and he would just say, it's candy, just it's candy, just go. <laughs> and, and Shyamalan said he woke up the next day with a throbbing headache. So yeah, there you go. You mentioned earlier that the scenes with him and the kid were great. How did you mm-hmm. feel about Haley Joel Osment? I mean, this is a big kid performance from film history. I
1: think it's incredible. I think it's it's really really strong. And we've had some child performances on this show that I was not super keen on. I I tended like not love child performances in movies. I just kind of well, like, we okay. Well, t- we I
0: mean, we covered one of the other quintessential ones, which was Henry Thomas in the, in ET. In
1: ET, yeah. And then but we also Covered. Let the right one in, which is uh, the main male character in that story. I didn't really respond to. I thought he was just—he's okay, you know—he's fine. Right. This is in that you know ET category. I think this is an amazing performance. Outstanding. It's really, really good. Oh, the kid in Big Daddy was really good too. Another oh, yeah. film we yeah, covered. Yeah. I well, mentioned twins. Yeah. twins. Yeah, the twins. Yeah, the two kids. Um. Yeah, this is, this is a great performance. I don't have a single gripe. There are no false notes. He plays this sort of traumatized, nervous kid so well, but he's also very sweet. And oh, just, just I want mean, just want to give him a way- hug? You want to help him? You know, it's like he's, he's, he's a heartbreaker.
0: Well, just the way that he recognizes the trauma that he's inflicting on his mom just by having this disorder, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like having mm-hmm. this, this problem on his hands. He doesn't want to inflict that on his mom, and he feels terrible about it. It's, it's so sweet, like you're saying. Yeah,
1: yeah. Oh, and the first time we get an inkling that something weird is going on when Tony Collette pinwheels out of the kitchen and comes back and all everything's open. Great shot. Great shot, great little jump. What the fuck's going on here? Yeah. And just, and his, he's like apologetic. And it's the first time I believe they do that look at my face thing. Did you
0: notice how he's got his hands just gripping the table and he's just like staring forward? He's like, he's shaking with terror. Mm -hmm. Like, it's incredible. Like, in terms of a kid performance, just imagine like having. A handheld camera shot like that where you're mm-hmm. following the mom into a room, trying to catch the kid mid-action, you know, like eating cereal or whatever, mm-hmm. Le- following the, the the mother back out to the laundry room, and then coming back to the kid and him having to play a completely different emotion within that same shot. Like mm-hmm. coaching a kid like that, that's hard to do, man. And yeah. to pull that shot off, I mean, we're talking about like hours of setup to make sure the lighting is right and to get the, the choreography of like getting all those doors open and stuff and like that's the thing that, blows that person my mind. disappear <laughs> yeah. like there there's elements of that like there's so many moving parts there and for him to stay in it as a kid actor
1: yeah really really impressed me and there were there are scenes that he where he just broke me down emotionally I I, I got really choked up at certain points in this film. Dude, that scene in the car at the near the end of the film, that's the that's the performance of, of of that's when he, I think, really I mean, he's good in all of his scenes. But that's when I was just like, Holy shit. He's he is great in that scene. Even even kind of more horror movie, like tropey sort of space that this movie plays in. Obviously, it's a horror film. But like the idea of when that teacher is berating him. And he's like covering his eyes and doing that whole like, yeah, it's talk funny, blah blah, whatever he says. Stutterer, yeah, yeah, stutterer. Like that is even kind of it's just creepy. And he's he's playing it really well. It's startling, and he does do those sort of weird things that make you nervous about him. I mean, we don't feel that as viewers, you and I, seeing it because we all no, know I just the truth to this sad. film, yeah. <laughs> but but like it would be kind of if you were watching this movie for the first time. And you're thinking, is this going to be kind of like a Damien type of kid? What's going on with this kid? It would be fun to be living in that mystery, but you know we didn't have that luxury. So I found it to be uh, fantastic and a great performance. Really, really, really good.
0: Have you ever seen AI?
1: No, I haven't. I wouldn't say it's a shamer, but it's one that I missed the boat on a great
0: great movie and he is phenomenal i you know as much as i love this performance that is haley joel osmond's masterclass. it's better than this wow it truly That's crazy. is i mean because in that movie he's playing a android human and he's you know exhibiting these robot characteristics as along with his human characteristics and the kid was like 11 when he was shooting the movie it's incredible wow has he done much work as an adult so actually that's it i'm glad you asked yeah he's so he's actually had a really solid career after this i mean he's not working in live action as much anymore he does a lot of voiceover work but recently he's had a lot of comedic turns on shows like silicon valley he had like a a a brief stint as a uh like a software developer guy Mm -hmm. um and yeah he's he's really funny he I've, I've listened to him on a number of podcasts. He's been on uh, Doughboys before, which is one of my all-time favorite podcasts, and he was a great guest. He seems like a really well-adjusted dude for having mm. gone through this as a kid. Because, um, I mean, here's the other thing. He was acting from a really young age. Um, he was young Forrest Gump in Forrest Gump. like Not the kid uh, as Forrest Gump, but the, Forrest Gump's kid oh his child, yes, yeah, I'm with you now, I'm with, with you now his his child with Jenny, yeah,
1: mm-hmm mm-hmm yeah, so he was uh, doing
0: that, and then he was in like t v and commercials for a long time, and then he was in this this movie, so this was not his debut by any means
1: yeah, I'm yeah. not surprised that it's not his debut, because it definitely seems like someone who's been acting for a while like this is not just kind of like amateur, and I wonder why that is that so few child actors break through and continue work or working like into their adult life. Maybe maybe that's oh, not true. Maybe this is how I see it. a whole other
0: conversation. I mean, Hollywood <laughs> yeah. is a uh, meat grinder, especially for kids.
1: Yeah, that sounds like a nightmare. But
0: but yes, uh, he has escaped pretty much unscathed, it seems like, which is good. impressive. Good, I'm happy uh, to hear uh, He that must have more. good parents. I mean, his dad was an actor. He was a theater actor. And um, actually, it's interesting when... I was I was listening to an interview and Shyamalan was saying that um, when he first met Haley Joel Osment, he was talking to him and Haley Joel was like, "I read my part three times last night. I really love it. I'm excited to like, you know, do this with you," and he was like. You mean you read like your lines 3 times and he's like no I read the script 3 times last night. Time. <laughs> it's like this professional. <laughs> it's yeah. like I have some ideas with oh, the character. <laughs> I don't
1: th- you know those pudding
0: cups that have chocolate
1: vanilla chocolate? I think he's into
0: those. Well, you know <laughs> it's it's interesting like I mean this is kind of why this movie works is these actors when they were making it and we'll talk about Tony Collette in a second but she mm-hmm. mentioned this specifically that when they were making it in some ways it didn't feel like they were making a horror movie because the dramatic elements and like the the emotionality of it was so potent that to them it kind of just felt like making a drama. Dude,
1: I honestly agree with them. I don't think this movie is really... I mean, it has scares and startles and, you know, ghosts walking by doorways and some gore and some creepy imagery, but I agree with how the actors felt about their, you know, based on how they were playing it, it feels like a drama to me. I think that kind of outshines a lot of the horrific components, is mm-hmm. the the human connection between the characters. And that's what makes the movie work on a deeper level for me, is it's not all about the fact that this kid sees ghosts. It's how do we manage this crazy situation the best way possible? How do we help this child manage it? Right. That's what's interesting. It's not interesting that he sees ghosts, necessarily. It's it's. The, the ripple effects of that and how can they be contained is what's actually drawing me to the story.
0: Absolutely. Yeah.
1: While we're on Osman's performance, I wanted to just talk real quick about I, the, I, the delivery of I see dead people. Mm. Like that's just, let's just set a, mo- a moment for that is an, uh, an incredibly iconic scene 100%. and has been referenced and spoofed on and joked on so many times. To the point where it's become almost farce, and it's like a bit of a meme, a bit of a butt of a joke. I don't know how you. <laughs> it, it. Like <laughs> yeah, it was a meme in like
0: nineteen ninety nine. Yeah,
1: but it was a meme pre meme. It was you know, pre meme. Um, a pre a pre meme. <laughs> but it really is a great line reading, and oh, it's, it's a great line, and he delivers it great. I think the the kind of the legacy of how impactful and how easily joked about that line is has has tainted the fact that it's a great. Delivery and, it, and he really does a great
0: job doing it. I'm glad you brought that line up because one of the other actors to audition for this part. He's I mean, he was a, a guy who had a career as a younger person. Mm-hmm. He wasn't like this age, like in terms little of older? Like the, the Well, when he got attention was a little mm-hmm. bit older, more like high school age. But it's Michael Sarah.
1: Oh, my God. Michael Sarah, um,
0: we'll never know, man. But he told a story on a podcast one time about auditioning for this movie. Apparently, he only got the sides for the scene that he was auditioning for. He didn't know the greater context of the movie, um, or at least his agent hadn't informed him of the greater context, so he didn't know what to prepare for. And he went into this this <laughs> this audition. <laughs> and he apparently played the scene completely upbeat as opposed to terrified which is what it should have been. And I so see dead people. He, the scene was I see dead people and his his way of reading it was I see dead people. I said is that cool? <laughs> I see dead people. I just died at that. And he also yeah. apparently auditioned with the scene where uh, Bruce Willis was doing the magic trick and he was just mm-hmm. like just kind of happy and upbeat. Yeah, that's a sweet scene too. By the way, it the magic, scene. the
1: magic trick. Well, scene that's the scene and- where you
0: see some uh, Osment bits of the performance where he's just like he's doing things like like staring out into the distance and just being like exasperated with the situation mm-hmm. in a way that's really human and not yeah. at all like performative.
1: Also, I thought that was a great like kid line and a well written line. Let's give Shyamalan a little bit of credit when he said, I didn't know you were funny. Like that's I I love that line, I, and, I, and it just seems like something a kid would say. It's it's a charming line. It's funny, and it's 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 delivered on a platter.
0: Just Perfect. nice, nice job. Yeah, it's great. Well, Bruce Willis also handles that scene great.
1: We yeah, should give does. him credit
0: for that. But yeah, yeah. Um, no, you okay? Well, we've talked a lot about Haley Joel He's incredible. Um, go watch AI, please. Like that I performance will. is incredible, mm-hmm. and um, I I think. He deserves to be in the conversation of like the greatest kid stars of all time, no question. I
1: agree. I I I totally agree, dude. He's definitely one of the best kid performances we've seen on this show yet, which, as we mentioned, is saying something.
0: Well, during that conversation, we briefly mentioned the scene between him and Tony Collette. We need to talk about her performance. I am a massive Tony Collette fan. How did you feel about her in this movie? Didn't know she was going to be in it. Didn't know because I, I I picture
1: her older uh, and more of her recent performances are what I, I associate Tony Collette. I didn't know she was working a lot around this time. Mm-hmm. I thought she was still like struggling and breaking through. Early, career. so when I when I saw her name in the opening credits, I got very excited. It's like, oh, young Tony Collette, this is gonna be dope. She did not disappoint. Holy hell! She what an is immaculate
0: so... performance, dude.
1: She totally steals the movie from me and everyone else is good we've been praising everyone they deserve it she's out of this world good and that's kind of she really is like it's like okay we talked about M. Night Shyamalan might be good with kids from a directing standpoint and how I always viewed him as being more of an engineer type but not very human however whatever chemistry he worked with with Colette in this and and obviously she's bringing a ton of that, but their I don't, chemistry I don't is think amazing. We need to
0: give Shyamalan any credit on this. This is all okay. Tony. You Kalich. think this she is, is all is, Tony? She is bringing the fucking heat in this movie. Yeah,
1: she she will be on my short list for fav, favorite performances of the year. Whenever we do that sort Dude. of wrap up show,
0: she is so fucking good. I'm getting choked up right now just thinking about her performance because it's yeah. beautiful. Like, oh my god, the, she's amazing! Be, and look it would be so easy for an actor to come in and see this part of a single mother who is like struggling to put her kid through school and is like desperately dealing with this situation of a kid who may or may not be having a psychological break. Yeah. Yeah. She, like he might be schizophrenic. It, it would be so easy to play this character as this over the top you know kind of saucy broad from you know like who like you, you know what i mean like yeah. like it's set in philadelphia like a working class town like you could easily see someone just imparting so much fucking elbow grease on this character that tony klett completely reneges she just she says no we're we're giving this character fucking humanity and mm-hmm. like God damn, dude. Like, just the scenes of her just, like, discovering this shit about her child that she's just like, what new horror do I have to deal with today is devastating. Oh, yeah.
1: Like, I I mean, mentioned earlier the, like, look at my face. All of those work for me. They never seem to overdo it. Because she she knows her
0: kid is is a good kid.
1: Yeah. And even when she's at, like, it's at its most fucked up and, like, really spiraling, she's still... Has the resolve to to portray, to hide her fear about what's going on, yeah, and and really show, like, demonstrate to him that it's not you, I'm not worried about you, and no. it's so she's such a good mom and We're she's such a caring person together, yeah, and especially when the child services start getting roped in, and she gets very defensive, it's like you saying I hurt, are you saying I'm not a good like, and that's I was like I love her in those scenes, yeah, uh, when she tells the Other moms to fuck off over the phone I was blown away I did not think this movie was going to have A great performance in it I thought it was all going to be about the twist And yada yada I was blown away by how good she is in this movie And I'm really hoping to see more of her stuff From around this time She's obviously killing it now Yeah, Like she's
0: of Of you know, she's kind of the quintessential, devastated mom in the yeah, st- the history of film with like but, Little Miss Sunshine and hereditary. And-
1: God, I forgot about her and Little Miss Sunshine. I love that movie. But thinking too of something like Knives Out mentioned again on this podcast uh, for this episode. yeah. but she's great in that she's not really playing the mom like she's playing this sort of like annoying, sort of like, uh, armchair advocate type of person. And she's, she's, she's excellent at that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she's kind of starting to flirt with like that sort of Francis McDormand strata of like, she's, she's becoming one of those like incredibly well-respected actors. Who's just killing it. And I'm very excited to see her career continue to flourish, but really want to go back and see more of this stuff.
0: I mean, you're right, but she also only has one Oscar nomination and that's for this movie
1: yeah well, at least at least they got that right that, that yeah, she but should dude, get some right. Go watch for this.
0: Little Miss Sunshine again. She is insanely good in that movie.
1: Yeah, she's great, and I love that movie too. I think that movie I forgot bit that was her
0: but she's incredible in it. Um, I,
1: I, I love it, and that was before I knew who she was. I just thought it as a good performance by this no name, quote unquote, is what I thought at the time.
0: But going back to just the way that we watch this movie, Knowing the Twist. I think, you know, kind of also like the way that this movie is a movie that you kind of have to watch twice in some ways. Mm-hmm. What I really got out of this viewing of it was watching it, thinking about the fact that you've got this poor woman who is trying to help her kid and has no fucking idea how. Mm-hmm. And this poor kid who doesn't want to burden his mom with this, his problem You've got that element, which is clear from the beginning of it. But then you add the layer of knowing that on first viewing, Bruce Willis is a character that she's hired to help her kid. On second Mm -hmm. viewing, she has none of that help. She's Mm -hmm. just like dealing with this on her own, like completely alone. Mm -hmm. It's so tragic and, and sad and like... The, when you then contextualize it that way, that last scene of them in the car, where she understands that he's not bullshitting her, this is actually yeah. happening, and that yeah. he's talking to her mom, and he has like, like verifiable proof that he is not bullshitting her, and the way yeah. that she breaks down and just allows herself to to feel everything, that that scene destroyed me.
1: Me too. I mean, we we briefly mentioned the Haley Joel Osment side of that scene, and he yeah. really is stellar. And it's them really working together. They get to this spot on the same team. You know what I mean? Yeah. But her reaction had just had me just in tears. It did. I w- I was totally moved. Uh, she really got there, and then brought us there. It it's it's so believable. It's such a. Uh, it's just such an emotional scene. I hadn't had a reaction to a scene like that in a movie in a really long time. Like, uh, you know, I get, I get, you know, choked up or I think things are cool or it's emotional or whatever, but literally, like, tears are just like surging through. It's like, fucking A, he got me. The two of them got me. Like, Shyamalan got me. They got me. Like, they fucking got me, man. It all and it works. Was, it was a really, um, of an incredibly strong scene. Yeah. She is outstanding in it, and I, I, a, a quality of co- a, a complexity of emotions that I unfairly was not expecting to get in a quote unquote M Night Shyamalan film, and I was very happy with that sort of depth and that 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 feeling that they really tapped into. I've got a serious not serious but I've got a beef with an aspect of that scene. Oh none no, none of it is performances. What is it? Dude, I don't know if you noticed this. I don't know what the fuck the camera's <laughs> doing on in that scene. The camera's floating around. It keep, what a keep rug the... pull. I love that shot. Dude, the... Why? just keep them in the frame. Keep it stable. <laughs> Let the actors do their thing. Why is this camera like
0: moving around? Uh, Leave it You're alone. talking about when it's just like floating in between the cars?
1: It's like it's shooting uh, through the window on Haley, Haley Joel Osment's side. So okay. it's shooting through the car window of the passenger side. And Tony Collette is in the scene and she's like breaking down. And the camera just has this sort of like flutter movement going on. And oh, it's I like,
0: didn't even notice that.
1: It's it's bumping around. Maybe it was just in the Blu-ray I version I have. I can't imagine. I mean, I'm sure
0: I have the same Blu-ray.
1: Yeah. And it's just like, I'm just like, what the? Like, it looks like an accident. It doesn't look like... Hey, let's shoot this handheld so it like we're getting a rot. It looks like the fucking
0: camera operator is out to lunch. Like who is shooting this? There's a uh there's actually a story from set that apparently they shot that whole scene, both both sides of the coverage. And Haley Joel and and uh Tony Collette were really worried that they didn't get it. Mm-hmm. Like that they didn't they didn't get the the performance and and they they thought it was on them and they like but they they rapped on that scene, and then they they voiced that concern to M Knight, and and Knight apparently was like, no no no, I think we got it. We're I think we're good. But you know, maybe that's to your point. Like maybe they could have shot it one more time. No, no, the performances are pitch perfect. That's the only thing that matters. Well, I mean, then, the then that day- sounds like a just a camera mistake. That like you just yeah. gotta roll with i mean to be honest yeah. like the 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 handheld shot that we talked about earlier of like going into the kitchen back out to the wa- mm-hmm. the laundry room back into the kitchen yeah. like there's a focus problem in that in that shot yeah. but it doesn't bother me because they yeah. got the performances and the the everything else perfect
1: I, I think it was kind of my editing side coming out because i'm <laughs> yeah, so, a I, bit. when i was working on that that Christmas movie, I'd just be going through fucking takes and yeah. like camera bump, and I was just like, we just grew to resent the camera department. We just were just insulting them. Like I remember one time Scott was like looking at the shots, like, yep, and he he's a camera he's a camera operator and a DP as well, so he has a right to say this. He's like, yeah, maybe get the fucking color temperature right, and he just like, goes out of the next take.
0: It's so funny. <laughs> Well, if we're talking about great performances in this movie, I think we got to mention Donnie Wahlberg, because to me, I was blown away by his performance. Even though it's a one-scene performance, he fully commits to this character. Mm-hmm. And I, I can talk about the background on this, but first I just want to ask you, what like, did you, what'd you think of this character? What did you think of the performance? I mean,
1: there's only one way it could possibly work. And that is to just grab the bat, put it over your shoulder, and take the biggest swing you could possibly fucking do. It's a big cut. It is the biggest of cuts. And if you half-ass it, if you show any fear or any sort of, like, wait, what am I doing? What am I... Like, it's not going to work. The whole scene will fall apart if you're not really
0: going for it no this could be the worst performance in the movie easily yeah. in the wrong hands
1: just think of the situation he's in right he's in his underwear in this bathroom well like that just was his and-
0: choice by the way the underwear. oh
1: okay cool but like you know you're very exposed there's a camera right in front of you like a whole crew of people around you i don't know if this is just acting 101 but you really have to battle against a lot of insecurities that might crop up in terms of being that exposed and also like taking such big risks as an actor and and to m Knight's credit too he needs to foster an environment that isn't uh that allows for failures or like you know what i mean like people need to feel loose enough to to go for it like yeah that. and i think he crushes it i i remember like seeing his name also in the opening credits i was like ha Donnie Wahlberg, because he's—I I like him, but he's a bit of a another one of those meme nights, you know.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, you could he's easily gonna... throw him in the Frank Stallone category of the brother of the the famous guy. But I mean, you got to remember at this time, at at this point in time, arguably Donnie Wahlberg is on the level of Mark Wahlberg in terms of fame. Mm. So mm. when he's making this movie, I mean. He's in a low period, but I mean, Donnie Wahlberg was famous for being a part of the new kids on the block, which is essentially the first boy band in history. Mm. And it's him and Jordan McKnight and a bunch of people. And they got super famous coming out of Boston in the late eighties, early nineties. And yeah, he, Mark Wahlberg was briefly a part of that group and then left before they even like released an album, I think. But he became famous as Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch, and then two years before this, he's got Boogie Nights, and and right. he's got Fear in 1995. So he had like established a movie actor career. Um, also, he was a Calvin Calvin and Klein underwear model. But Donnie kind of was starting to get lost in in his shadow a bit at this point. But this was his first major film acting performance and he threw himself in head first the dude Mm -hmm. lost 43 pounds for this movie for one scene
1: one scene and people give christian bale all the credit in the world for the machinist at least it's a performance for a full movie
0: you know it's funny when like in the behind the scenes of this movie there's interviews with donnie and you can tell that he's like he knows how much work he put into it, but he did the work, you know, Mm -hmm. and he's coming across as a little bit like trying to like really pump up how much he did. But at the same time, it's like, it's in, it's undeniable. Like the dude was like staying up for hours and hours on end. He was like starving himself. He didn't shower for like a month before this movie. Like he, he went all in on this to really try and get to the psychology of this character And it comes across. It works. Yeah. I buy it completely. And it really shows a
1: ton of conviction to go so hard for such a relatively thankless role. Like, he is not in the movie long. And for an actor to be like, okay, I've got this part. I'm going to lose all this weight. I'm going to go through all this stuff. I'm going to study the psychology of the character. It's it's kind of not a surprise to me. After hearing you say all of that, all of that, that he gets billed where he does, because by the time he exits the movie so quickly, but I was kind of like, oh man, he was like the third or fourth name I want to say. Well, came I mean, up. there are other people who are in this movie for longer than he is. Some of the ghosts are in this movie for longer than he is.
0: I mean, think about it though, like it's. There's very few characters in this movie. It's really three main characters. That's it. Mm -hmm. I mean, Mm -hmm. two main characters and one supporting. That's pretty much the extent of the cast. And then Donnie is like this one scene guy. And I think it, I don't know if he was like consciously aware of this, but if that performance doesn't work, the rest of the movie kind of doesn't work. It, it's a linchpin moment in the movie. And if that is so fucking over the top and doesn't work, I feel like you kind of, you might dismiss this movie, but there's right out of the gates. As soon as this movie starts, you get this intense emotional performance that locks you into the, like Bruce Willis's entire drive of the rest of the movie.
1: Yeah. That's a great point too, man. like, if you, if we laugh at that, we're not on the movie's side anymore, no. and we're gonna be poking poking at it the rest of the two hours, it might seem however goofy. Thought, how long it is. Yeah, it, it, it like there's a lot riding on that performance, and he pulls it off. A question I have about the character: is it inferred or made It I think it might even be outright said. And I only watched the movie once, much against the normal dartboard movie night creed. I only did one viewing on this one. But does he suffer from the same affliction? Does he have... So he has the same gift of seeing ghosts.
0: They link that by having them both have a streak of white hair in their hair. So like, okay. he's got on b- both of them on the right side. I think it's like behind Hilly Joel Osment's ear, and then like right up, he- like on his mm-hmm. scalp for for Donnie Wahlberg. But they both have both have this white hair, and it indicates and and you know what they're talking about on the tape recorder is him seeing dead people. It's it's him talking to dead people.
1: Great, great performance, the Wahlberg one. Awesome.
0: No, I I was so yeah. impressed, and um, he's continued acting. I mean, he's basically the lead of saw two speaking of another movie that yeah. we brought up earlier mm-hmm. um but yeah he's, that's how I, I know him i, was, I wouldn't i, I wouldn't say he's like an incredible actor generally speaking but he knocks this performance out of the park so i just wanted great to scene. make sure we mention him
1: great scene i'm glad we shouted him out
0: yeah i mean the last major thing that i wanted to to, to touch on is the cinematography of this movie i think this movie is absolutely gorgeous how do you mm-hmm. feel? I mean, you brought up a, a quibble with you know the the camera work earlier in the show, but <laughs> how would you feel generally about the, the cinematography?
1: Honestly, other than the flaws I noticed in that Tony Collette scene in the, you know in the car, I didn't really notice it. I it was um, it didn't leap out to me. That doesn't make it a bad thing. Sometimes it's really beautiful when a cinematic uh, you know a cinematic look matches so correctly that you don't see it that it just disappears i like that sometimes and so for me it might be in that category it was not like i wasn't hit over the head with like holy shit this is shot so well but i was not like other than that error i mentioned i was not like what the fuck is this you know what i mean it was i thought it was good, but I didn't notice yeah. its greatness. How do you feel about
0: it? No, I mean, I, I love the way that this movie looks. I think it's beautiful. Yeah. I love the, the way it uses a lot of muted colors and then mm-hmm. a, like brings in some red every time there's going to be a ghost appearance. I think it's a really good use of color. The cinematographer of this movie is Tak Fujimoto. He's a frequent collaborator of Jonathan Demme, who's one of my all-time favorite mm. filmmakers. So this is the guy who shot Silence of the Lambs, He shot Ferris Bueller. He shot Philadelphia. He also shot John Adams, that miniseries that you and I both really like on HBO. Oh, love that. Yep. yep. He's he's a master of natural light and the use of like shadow and and ambient light, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I think if you watch this movie on second viewing, you might pick up on more of this, but just like... I'm thinking of the shots of Haley Joel Osment in his tent, you know that he builds mm-hmm. when, the he, red. when he's terrified of of the Misha Barton ghost. Uh, yeah, you know Misha Barton from the OC plays the ghost. The the main with ghost those stuff the coming of out of movie. her mouth, she's vomiting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, That's a good scare, by the way. That whole shot, I love. First of all, I love that they do it all in one one shot of just like. You've got Haley Joel Osment. You pan over to the ghost. You pan back to him. Like I, you've got like the the uh, you got the shot of those clothespins, you know, snapping off, and the the blankets separating, and then the Misha Barton. I, I love all that shit. But the colors and the the way that the the breath looks in that scene, and like because it gets cold, and you can see his breath, and like the the flashlight, all of that stuff is just it's gorgeous to me.
1: I'll definitely want to revisit this movie at some point, and I will try to keep a closer eye out for some of these visual flourishes. Like I said, everything worked for me, but I don't remember shots as, like, smacking me in the face and yeah. thinking, like, holy shit. That's fair. I wanted to kind of do maybe a sort of, like, rapid-fiery questions I had about the movie from a story perspective. That I'm wondering if you had similar questions or maybe have answers, but. How did Bruce Willis find out about this kid? Is that do we know? Because we see him the first time, like he's sitting on the bench, and he watched the kid leave, and he does the like tape recorder thing. Like how how did he find out about this kid's situation?
0: He finds out about the kid the same way any other ghost that appears to that kid finds out about him. You think so? They're drawn to him. They, yeah. want to tell,
1: they want to tell him something or they well, want that's, to find that's, something out?
0: That, I mean, that's the resolution of the movie is the kid realizing that he he is there to help these ghosts achieve something so they can move on.
1: Okay, so they're, all of these ghosts are organically drawn to him.
0: Yeah. They're not just roaming the world. Okay, well, yeah, I, I mean, that. that's the only way to think about it. Because, I mean, think about the fact that Misha Barton's ghost appears to him in his house, but she didn't yeah. die anywhere near that house. That's, good you point. know, yeah, like yeah, it's it, like these ghosts are pulled to him because of his ability,
1: because of his gift. Right. Do we know why the hell that woman
0: was poisoning that girl? It's called Munchausen's by proxy syndrome. It's a it's a medical disorder where people want to be caretakers so bad that they will poison the ones they love to keep them in a state of where they can caretake for them wow it's an actual syndrome and like there's a there's a whole there are whole shows about like based on that that wow. idea
1: huh i never heard of that that's crazy okay then that i was like i'm watching this and in in, i'm like is there money on the line why is this woman poisoning this child is she the stepmom like what is happening no
0: and look that up, just look up like, munchausen's by proxy it's a crazy yeah. fucking thing Yeah, that's
1: wild. Oh, wait, uh, one of our favorite PTA movies is about that. (laughs) Which one?
0: (laughs) Uh, Phantom Red. (laughs) Except that's more consented by the the victim. (laughs)
1: And as far as we know, it didn't lead to death. Um, It's more of a sexual thing in that movie. (laughs) Yeah. I want to spend just a little bit of time as we kind of round the corner here about, let's talk about some of the tricks they do to disguise that, Bruce Willis' wife is not acknowledging him. You know what I mean? I just wanted to explore that idea for a minute. My favorite one that occurs to me is when he is at the
0: restaurant. I was right? just going to talk about that. I was excited that you brought this up because I thought that was where you might be going.
1: Okay, cool. Because when, when he, at one point, he asks a question. And for seemingly the first time, her eyes dart up and she looks at him. Mm-hmm. But what is so good of the magic trick is off camera right at that moment based on how my TV system is set up anyway, a sound of loud laughter pops up out of nowhere from behind Bruce Willis and that's what kind of draws her eyes to him at that moment. So, I just think the movie really does a good job of of it its sleight of hand components. And we we touched about it generally, but I wanted to maybe do some more specific shout outs of like how they really pull the wool over the first time viewer eyes.
0: Yeah. No, I'm glad you did, did bring that up because I think it's really, that's the biggest part of the magic trick. Mm -hmm. That scene in particular, I think is great because if you watch it again, you notice that Bruce Willis never touches anything in the scene Mm -hmm. Like he doesn't pull the chair out to sit in it. The chair is mm-hmm. already kind of at an angle and he sits down in it. He doesn't get to touch the check. There's all kinds of little things like that. Mm-hmm. Another perfect example of that is when, it's, it's the first scene after Bruce Willis as Ghost meets Cole, Haley Joel Osment. And mm-hmm. they he's sitting in the living room with Tony Collette across from her. Mm-hmm. And I think it's so brilliant because the filmmaking language of that scene tells the viewer that these two have had a conversation before. Hilly Joel Osment is walking through the door. Yeah, you you got here after that. You you you're entering the scene after that conversation. But in Mm -hmm. reality, there never was a conversation. Yeah, I think it works too because of the restraint that Shyamalan shows in his directing at that point Mm -hmm. like he's doing a lot of that kind of filmmaking where he's he's not showing you all the buildup to things he's just getting to the point so like Mm -hmm. the editing of the movie up until that point has conditioned your brain to expect that
1: yeah yeah what was the deal with the basement so at the end of the movie when he realizes he's dead he runs over the door and there's like the, the,
0: the, the bookshelf has been moved in front of it. His books are there. Was he never down in the basement? There's an important line in the movie where Haley Joel Osment says that these ghosts, they see what they want to see. They see what see. they want to see. Right. Multiple times in the movie, they show him go to the basement door. It's locked. He like turns the knob. He can't open it. And then he's like reaching in his pockets for a key, but they always cut before he gets his key. Right. So okay. So they're setting you. The, basically, what they're saying is that that door has always been blocked. He's just been able to get down there because he doesn't see the 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 thing, and he's a fucking ghost, and he can go right. So he, he can want. just pass through it. Okay. Yeah. But in his mind, that's what's happening.
1: Okay. Yeah. That was an issue. I was. I was like, I know something's going on with that door, but I couldn't so like piece that's it together. The Does that makes sense. Is
0: like the 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 table in front of the door is saying you never actually were going through that door. You just could pass through it.
1: Right, right. And it's saying it was not about the key. This was not an issue of a door being locked. There was literally a barricade that you had no issue passing through. Right. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Those little things like that man I, it was fun watching the movie with that in mind
0: but i guess that's what you know going back just kind of making this full circle to the beginning of the conversation the reason i see this movie as being so fucking miraculous is because all of those pieces have been thought through they've mm-hmm. he's really done the work to make this magic trick work and to not make any cheats there is not mm-hmm. a single cheat in this movie
1: mm-hmm. yeah i think i agree that's hard to fucking do. I mean, it sounds like I'm not quite, I'm not at a masterpiece level. I think it's very well constructed, but um, I don't know. It's pretty, I'm really glad to have actually finally seen it. And I did not expect it to be so emotional.
0: For me, this is just one of those, how did they do that movies? And for me, I'm always going to value that super highly. You love those.
1: Last thing I'll say is when seeing this movie, knowing the twist, I was very curious about how they were going to handle the reveal at the end. That was still a fun source of mystery for me. Yeah. I was like, okay, so I know that something is going to be discovered. Where I, I know that it's going to be revealed that Bruce Willis is dead. Yeah. But I don't know how they're going to go about it. And it was fun seeing them do that whole kind of ring rolling on the ground sort of thing. It's a good reveal. And uh, it's a nice reveal. And
0: did it make you emotional the way that it did me? No, I had I
1: had kind of uh, released a lot of energy and emotion in the car scene, and also knowing where that was going in terms of I know he's gonna find out that he's dead or yeah. whatever. Um, I wasn't I wasn't as dialed into that one. Did you put yourself you know?
0: in the first time viewer kind of mode in that and just try to like watch through those eyes and because I did because I, I think like. When you think about it, it's like, it's really the, the last three minutes of this movie that do that entire rug pull. Dude, I had a a moment where I was like, shit, dude, if I saw this movie when I
1: was 12, I don't know if I would have caught that. I don't know if I would have, like, they give you that information so quick and he's just like, oh my God, huh. <laughs> and then she has the cold breath and then it does like the little flashbacks of like, he can't grab the checkbook. Bang, bang, boom. And then they're just fucking out of there and it's credits roll and it's That's like, quick. oh man, if you, if you go to take a pee
0: or you're like, you know, nowadays checking your phone and you're like, wait, what? You put your head up, you might, you might miss it. It's weird that that doesn't feel cheap because of how tacked on it kind of is.
1: Yeah, it's it almost feels rushed, and that was kind of surprising to me. But it works. the movie doesn't take it. It works, but I think I honestly think it could be better. I think they okay. could have
0: taken a couple more beats here
1: to let it let it sink in.
0: I don't know. It really worked for me. Like I, I got almost as emotional at him being like, "I think I can go now." To to Tommy yeah. Collette saying what she did, like just yeah. just the idea of coming to terms with. Your mortality and and yeah. saying it's okay that I didn't get to say goodbye. I'm gonna do the best I can.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that was a that was a sweet scene. I did I didn't react to it as strongly, but it was really good. I really liked how the Haley Joel Osmond advice of talking to her while she was sleeping came back around and proved out to work. Like that was really a sweet touch, too. I just it just came to me two other twist films I want to give a shout out for. You. I actually believe the
0: Book of Eli is really underrated. I like that oh, movie, yeah. and it's a you good know, twist. You know, that's one that I've never seen, but I know the twist in it.
1: Okay, you know the twist. Okay, I, I I dig that movie. Gary Oldman's really good in that movie. Denzel is good. Love Denzel. And then the maybe the original Planet of the Apes. Oh, like almost like the. I don't OG know about the original. Movie.
0: I mean, there's been plenty of suspense movies with big twists before that. But that being said, yeah, like that movie's a big yeah, one.
1: Yeah, like. Like, oh, my God, it was Earth you all along. You damn dirty apes. Yeah.
0: <laughs> you blew have you it ever That's seen another that? one I might
1: have missed. Oh, yeah, I've seen that. I've have, never seen that. Is that a shamer? Yeah, that's a shamer. Whoa. Fine. Oh, that might be one. I mean, I remember when I saw it as a kid, I thought it was cheesy because oh, it's I was hamstrung. Yeah. yeah, I was hamstrung on the practical effects. And, you know, we're we're kids in the 90s with things like Jurassic Park. So spoiled. I bet I would appreciate it more as an adult. Um that, that would be a fun one to put on the board someday. That's something to think about, for sure.
0: But it won't be the one I put on this week. Well, let's get to it. What is going yeah. on the board tonight?
1: Okay. I have two choices, and they're in a similar vein. One of which we've talked about before, you and I. And I found out that neither of us had seen it, so I got pretty excited. The other one is a movie I don't know if you've seen or not. Okay. And it's one that's been on my radar for about seven years now. Been wanting to see it, haven't gotten around to it. And if, it came to me randomly this week. And I was like, you know what? I think that would be good for the board. One other little teasy thing I'll do, and I want to just, just say this. I'm really happy with where the board, how the board's been developing. You know, we have been organically selecting some kind of more well-known um, box office type movies and, and some fun choices. I think it's at a really healthy spot. But I kind of want to go artsy with this one. Ooh, okay. I kind of want to go with a deep cut. And I want to get back to kind of some of... It's, just slide the pendulum one nomination back in the film dork direction. If you haven't seen it, it's going up. Have you seen the film Anomalisa? I have not. Okay. That's what I want to do. I want to do Charlie Kaufman's Anomalisa. I've wanted to see it since it came out. There's nothing else like it on the board. I mean, for those out there who don't know, it's like like a full-size human puppet stop animation movie. Uh... I don't, I won't even say what the genre or like topic explored no, is, but, but I really want to see it. It's
0: directed by Charlie Kaufman, who is a filmmaker that you and I are both big fans of. He is the writer behind movies like being John Malkovich, eternal sunshine of the spotless mind adaptation. And he's also the director of movies like Synecdoche, New York. So yeah, he's a filmmaker that I love. I, I, All of those movies that I just listed, I'm a massive, massive fan of. So, yeah, I'm very down to watch it. It's one that I've, I don't know why I skipped. Yeah, I mean, maybe there was some, I had
1: some reservations about the strangeness of the approach or who knows. But for whatever reason, I missed it, but I've always been intrigued. So let's, let's, let's fucking do it. Let's get a little more deep cut. And it looks available. I've just Googled it. It's very, seeing it rentable, rentable from a lot of sources. So I think we'll be able to watch it. Yeah.
0: And that's going on at number six. Also, interestingly, you just put that right next to Amadeus. So we get Am- Anomalisa oh, Amadeus. No! I love it. I love it.
1: Dude, that's that's great. That's great. You know, it's funny because I thought of, I was thinking about it because I've had this pick for a couple of days. Mm. I'm like, I, if Drew hasn't seen it, I really want to go for it. Um, and when we were talking earlier tonight, I was saying in my head, like, number six, Anomalisa. And I was like, ooh, that rolls nice. But I wasn't thinking out of context. But I guess it still works. Hey, it works
0: yeah yeah well let's do the board recap right now so number one we've got you can count on me number two ex machina number three the right stuff number four the big sleep number five operation condor number six anomalisa number seven amadeus number eight the fifth element number nine days of heaven number 10 the limey number 11 heathers number 12 the straight story number 13 thunderbolt and lightfoot number 14 schindler's list number 15 the friends of eddie Coyle, number 16 dirty harry number 17 the blair witch project number 18 waking life number 19 face off and number 20 the terminator
1: the terminator all right i'm going lefty again let's see what happens Well, Drew, the
0: dart has spoken. The dart says 11. 11 is one of your selections again. We've got Heathers on board. Nice, dude. I am very excited
1: about this movie.
0: I I have no idea what to expect from this. Dude, me neither. I just had a, a
1: friend of a friend recommended it to me. We'll get into it next week um and then i saw that it was really highly regarded and it's considered kind of like a cult classic so i really don't know much about it and i'm just intrigued i'm, I'm intrigued I'm, I'm excited to check it out me too i've got uh, yeah i've got here oh i guess we'll save that for next week the streaming check but i think it'll be a fun one man it looks readily available i think we'll be able to track it down and i'm getting a little hot here man getting on a little bit of a streak
0: Two in a row. So let's not get ahead of ourselves. But a little bit of a, uh, I believe I said a little bit of a streak. I guess that's technically a little bit of a streak. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but yeah. It's the bare minimum of streak. We're going to be covering Heather's next week from 1988. Give that one a watch. And uh, excited to talk about that one next week with you there, Jared. But for now, let's wrap it up here on The Sixth Sense. Thank you so much for listening. Please remember to rate, review, or give us a follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen. If you want to keep in touch or give us a recommendation, drop us a line at Night at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at Night. Artwork for the show was created by Veronica Roman, and all of our music is by Eric Williams. Play us out, Eric. Sorry, Mark. Later. up. What's going on, everyone? I'm Drew and I'm Jared, and welcome to Dartboard Movie Night, the podcast where we put 20 movies on a board, throw a dart at it, and let the fates decide. Shit, I didn't write an intro. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: I we'll hope that, that stays guy. in. It's not going to. Though. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna trim that bitch right out.